I had a great boss when I was a janitor the first year. Oh my goodness, I had a great boss when I was a janitor the first year I was a janitor. He had the right mix of work hard, play hard. We would work our tails off, and he took pride in his building that it was the cleanest, sparkliest, best-kept building in the school district. In our floors, we put 15 coats of wax on them. Our floors were a sea of glass, like before the Lord God Almighty's throne. But we also played hard, because he had a smoking habit, and so he would say, smoke break. And we would all go back to the back dock while he smoked, and we would kid around sometimes for 35, 40 minutes. I don't know if you know, you're only allowed a 10-minute break. And we would cut up, and then he would go, back to work, boys. And in we would go, and off we would go. The second year, mm, not so good. He had anxiety issues, and he started drinking to cope with his anxiety issues. And he started missing work one or two days a week. And that one or two days a week became three to five days a week. And I was the day janitor, so, and, and I was a rescuer. So what I did is I would come in at 4.30 or 5 in the morning and do all the stuff that he should have done that night. And I would run and vacuum and haul out trash and do everything I could. And I would sweat through both shirts, my pants, like I didn't think you could sweat that much in life. And by the time 8 o'clock rolled around and school started, I was exhausted and mad. I was mad that I was doing all this work that he should have done. And the funny thing is, I did that for six months straight. And the school didn't fa feel the weight of his absence. Nobody suffered but me, who was trying to bail out a situation and bail out my boss. John Maxwell has a word for some people in life. He calls them EGRs, extra grace required. These people suck the life right out of you. They beat you up emotionally. They try and control you. These people are looking for you to solve their problems. I think in terms of the sermon series, the greatest area where people suck is when they're trying to get you to take responsibility for stuff that they should be taking responsibility for. So, for example, I've got money problems, it's terrible, and I can't pay my rent again, and I know you've been lending me money, but can I have another $250? Please, I promise this time, this time I will pay you back. Or I've got relational problems, I've got relational problems, I've got this boyfriend and he's been cheating on me and he's been cheating on me, I need you to be my BFF right now, but when he comes back around, I'm going to drop you like a hot potato and please don't tell me I should dump him. Or, or I've got emotional problems and I just need you to talk to me on the phone four or five hours every night and we're going to do this for about three or four months straight. Could you just do this? You're not being a friend. You're not there for me. And they will try and load you with guilt. Um, Brandon Park, Dr. Brandon Park, he calls them emotional vampires. You got to love that name, emotional vampires. Yes, they will suck the life right out of you. <laughs> he says there are four types. There are the incurably insecure. Are we okay? Are we okay? I mean, I know last night you said we were okay, but when you said okay, did you mean okay or did you mean like okay? 
Like, I need to know. It's just, I, I know I called you twice last night, but I'm just checking in again. I, I really need to know for sure, okay? So the, the incredibly insecure. There are the drama queen, drama kings. They open the pizza box. There's only one Papa John sauce in here. I told you we needed three or four. What, you don't even know what my needs are? And boom, it's World War III because you don't have four or five Papa John sauce in the Papa John's box. Okay, little stuff becomes big deals. There are the blabbers. The blabbers are the one-way conversationalists. You know you're with a blabber when in the middle of the conversation, you're waiting for them to take a breath so that you can go, oh, got to go. <laughs> They breathe, woo, exit, <laughs> okay? Blabbers, it's all about them, their life, their problems, their issues, blah, 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 and it comes at warp nine, your way. There are the financial freeloaders. Again, they're con they constantly need help, and a lot of times it's because they're not making good decisions. Here's the thing about EGRs or about emotional vampires or about controlling people. You give and 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 you help and you help and you help and they take and they take and they take and they take until you snap and then you say no and then the guilt comes. You're not a good daughter, friend, husband, whatever, you know, you're blah, 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 blah. And because you feel guilty, you relinquish, you, you start give, okay, this time and then this process starts all over again. So I want to talk to you about that today. Gang, there is a better way. There is a better way. This is really important today. Here's my kitty cat. You can always tell when the last bit of sanity snaps in someone. <laughs> you've been there, and you've been this kitty cat. <laughs> okay? God wants you to love people without rescuing them. This is really hard, but we're going to talk about this today. God wants you to love people without rescuing them. Why? Because allowing people to face the consequences of their actions and attitudes gives them an opportunity to grow and change. Now, before we get to the text today, I want to ask you a question that Dr. John Townsend poses in his book, Boundaries, right? Who is asking you to be God? Who in your life? So I want you to think about this question as we go through the text. Who is asking you to take care of their financial problems, their emotional problems, their unhappiness? I'm miserable. Make it better. Uh, who is asking you to be God? Now, I want you to be thinking about that while we get into the text today. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. So if you brought a paper Bible, we're in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians who were using religion as a way to control people. And they did it by insisting that every new convert become circumcised and follow the law of Moses. You can only be circumcised if you're a boy, by the way. Okay, so, so every new convert. And they would tell you exactly how to do that. And they would, you know, they would dot, dot, dot. And by the way, we'll tell you how. And we'll spell it all out for you. Do what we say. It, and they used it as a way to control people. Paul, this, so that makes this letter one of the more fiery letters in the New Testament. I don't know if you know this, but Paul, in the course of making some arguments in this letter, he, uh, he says something to the effect of, oh, so you want to control all these people. 
you want to jettison the freedom in Jesus and I tell you what, you got that knife and you're circumcising? I hope the knife slips and you cut the whole thing off. That's in the Bible, and that's written by an apostle of Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay? For those of you wanting to know, it's Galatians 5.12. <laughs> Some of you are flipping there now. <laughs> okay? So, so, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. All right? Uh, and we're going to go verse by verse, and we're going we're gonna to unpack some things today. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. And I'm, for, the, for the, today's message, I'm going to put both what I'm preaching from and then a translation that's called the message because he really brings out what Paul is saying here, right? So, brothers and sisters, uh, restore a believer who's overcome by sin. There are some, there's some biblical imagery for what this looks like. Um, one of the biblical images used for restoring someone is um, uh, setting a broken bone, which speaks to healing. Another image that's used is mending a fishnet which speaks to restoring someone to their usefulness. A fish, you use a fishnet to fish. Another uh, meta, uh, biblical image is uh, refitting a ship. When you refit a ship, you repair the damage, you restock it, and you get it ready for its next voyage. In other words, we Christians are not supposed to shoot our wounded. I don't know if you knew this. Maybe some of you grew up in traditions where it was like, oh, sinner messed up, bam, finished him off for you, Brother Larry. <laughs> you know, right? It's in the Bible, don't shoot the wounded, okay? So that's part of what we Christians are not supposed to do that. Don't make an example of them. Restore them with gentleness. So let's keep going. Verse 2. Share each other's burdens. In this way, you obey the law of Christ. Burdens. That, that word there means something specific. It means something heavy, something oppressive, something that you cannot carry by yourself. Um, think boulder, giant boulder. <laughs> okay, we're supposed to help with each other's boulders. Well, what are some boulders in life? My husband, my wife done left me. Ah! I'm in the middle of a divorce. That's a boulder for a lot of people. I went to the doctor and he told me I have PST. PTSD, he told me I have cancer, he told me, she told me, boom, that's a boulder. Uh, I went in today at work and they said they're closing this whole division throughout the whole state. I'm out of work now. Boulder. <laughs> okay? Those are some examples of boulders. We're supposed to carry each other's boulders, burdens, for a time until they can handle it themselves. And then Paul goes into some advice. He says this. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Some of you are like, I have a friend who needs this verse. <laughs> okay. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So, so Paul is saying we're supposed to help with each other's burdens, and in the context of doing that, hey, keep your ego in check. Keep your ego in check. 
There are two ways that ego can go. Ego can go, I'm a worm, I'm a loser, everybody else is incredible, when you're comparing yourself to others. The other way ego can work is, I've got my act together. Why can't Denise get it together? She is such a loser, okay? Avoid those two things, Paul is saying. Avoid the ego, keep it in check, all right? And then the kicker, verse five. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Now, the word here used refers to a knapsack. So carry each other's boulders, but everyone should carry their own knapsack. And this word is used to describe a pack that a military man or, a, or an army person would carry for the entire day. So it's something that you can carry daily, and it's reasonable, and, and you should be carrying it. Everyone should carry their own load. Well, what are some things in your knapsack, your feelings, your values, your thoughts, what you treasure, what you cherish? And so Paul is saying something very important in this passage. He's balancing personal responsibility with looking out for each other. And he's saying, you know what? Sometimes life does come at you fast. Boom, you have a boulder or a house fall on you. Right now, Lynn's in the hospital. That's a boulder, right? You didn't see it coming, okay? We're supposed to carry each other's boulders until people are back on their feet. But we each are supposed to carry our own knapsacks. Everybody's got to carry their own stuff. Do you see the balance here? And if it weren't clear, Paul gets into some stuff in the next several verses. And I'm going to read these and we're going to unpack it. Don't be misled. You can't mock the justice of God. You'll always reap what you sow. You'll always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing. There's a general principle of sowing and reaping. Paul is saying this is reality. This is how life works. If you want to thumb your nose at it, fine. It's like jumping out of a 20-story window and expecting to fly. Gravity will take hold. <laughs> okay? So that Paul is making a claim about this is how reality works. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you might want to be intentional about what you're sowing because what you sow is what you reap. And Paul talks about in the previous chapter, what some of those things are when people are sowing to selfishness. And in 5.16, he says it results in quarrelsomeness. It results in conceit. It results in envy. It results in indifference to the needs of others. And he says in verse 9, stick it out anyway. I know there seems to be sometimes a long period between the sowing and the reaping, but he's saying, trust me, gang, it's there. You will reap what you sow. And so, don't tire of doing what is right and good. So again, God wants you to love people without rescuing them. God wants you to love people without rescuing them. Everybody can carry their own knapsack in life. Everybody's going to reap what they sow. Everybody. Everybody. So who's asking you to be God? in your circle, among your friends, among people that are in your family, is anyone asking you 
to be God, to take care of their money problems, their emotional problems, their unhappiness, is what they're asking you to do something they should be doing for themselves, getting a job, getting clean, getting rid of a bad attitude. Listen, we need to help each other without rescuing. This is very important. Love without rescuing. So how do you do this, right? I want to get very specific. How do you do this? For some of us, we need to learn to say no. Say that with me. One, two, three, no, okay? It is a word that Christians can use. Matthew 5, 37 says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus is on to something here. If you don't know how to say no, you are going to have six timeshares. You're going to have Time Warner Cable and Dish TV. You're going to have 18 different kinds of insurance, and you're going to be a telemarketer's dream. You've got to learn to say no. This is really, really important. So number one, never, ever, ever give a reason for no with very difficult people. When you give a reason for why you cannot accommodate their unreasonable request, it only empowers them to argue with you. I can't talk right now. I've got to go to bed. Oh, well, tomorrow, Saturday, you can sleep in. <laughs> See how that works? Anytime you give a reason, that gives them the opportunity to make a case for why you need to be doing what they're asking you to do. So let your no be no. Use the key magic phrase, that doesn't work for me. I want you to get your meanest, firmest voice ready, and I want you to say this with me out loud. Are you ready? Get, get, get in the zone. Come on. Breathe. Come on. Feel the ferocity, okay? One, two, three. That doesn't work for me. No, that is pathetic. Let's try this again. I want meanness. I want firmness. I want to hear it in your voice. I'm standing my ground. Here we go. That doesn't work for me. Better. That doesn't work for me. This is really important. That tone of voice you're using with me right now, that doesn't work for me. Those hurtful words that you are hurling my way, you know, that doesn't work for me. That inappropriate behavior, yeah, that doesn't work for me. See how this, <laughs> okay? You need to use the magic phrase, that doesn't work for me. So the first thing is learn to say no. The second thing, give consequences, Proverbs 19.19 says this, hot-tempered hot people must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you'll have to do it again. In other words, you got a hothead, you got a rageaholic in your life, you give in to them because they blow their top, it's you that's always going to be walking on eggshells. Oh, I don't want to make them upset. It's you that's always going to, you know, so... Proverbs has something to say to us here. Don't do it. Don't do it. Look, I realize some people are not going to respect your no. They're not going to respect even that doesn't work for me. They'll disregard you. They'll disregard your health. They'll disregard the warnings that you give them. Hey, if you keep doing this, this is going to go to a bad place. They'll bulldoze. They'll push. They'll disregard anything you say. Here's where consequences come in. Some people in life are three years old on the inside. 
Some people in life are three years old on the inside. And when you have a three-year-old, you can't just say, now, Johnny, now, Johnny, you shouldn't hit your sister Susie with that hammer like that. She could get brain damage and never go to college. No, you, Johnny gets consequences when he's three, okay? So consequences are key. Here's what consequences sounds like. If you continue this behavior, I'll leave the room and you leave. If you keep talking to me this way, I'll hang up, and you hang up. If you continue behaving this way, I'm not going to be able to give you my money, my time, my heart, my energy. It doesn't work for me. Again, I know this, see, this sounds harsh. And saying no, giving consequences, that's easy to list. It's hard to do, but it's really, really important when it comes to some difficult people. If you, if you start this process, if you don't know how to do this, and you start out, I, trust me, you're going to be scared. You're going to feel like you're the meanest person in the world, but it's good for you. Jesus did not heal everybody he encountered, and Jesus did not accommodate every request that was made of him, and he's the savior of the world. <laughs> he's the savior of the world. Again, right? So there's, there's, the, there's the key phrases. You got to put it up. God wants you to love people. Are you getting this? God wants you to love people without rescuing them. Allowing them to face the consequences of their attitudes and actions gives them an opportunity to grow and change. You want to know why this is important? Jesus is the Savior of the world, and you and I aren't. That's good news. That's really good news. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and you and I aren't. Loving and rescuing are different things. Love says, I'm on your team, but I'm not going to fix your problems. That's love. When I was a children's pastor uh, in early on starting out, I was in my 20s. I had a family. Uh, they were in trouble. They had a teenage son who had uh, a bad case of disrespect and mouthiness. And he was disrespecting his parents. He was disrespecting people at church. He was nothing but foul stuff out of his mouth at school. He was getting trouble everywhere he went. And mom and dad came to me and asked me, would you start meeting with our son? Would you, you know, we believe you could help our son. Well, it wasn't long into the process. And I figured out dad was getting plastered drunk on the weekends. And dad was unleashing verbal awfulness in home. Okay, so there's legitimate reasons why he was mad and why he was, you know, poof. okay? But I kept meeting, meeting, meeting with him, meeting with him, meeting with him, and there wasn't making progress. And I remember both parents coming to me independently. What's your problem, Pastor Max? It's been four weeks, it's been six weeks, and we're not seeing any progress in, and thank God I had a senior pastor who was wise. And I went in, and he said, you're doing What? <laughs> no, 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 no. Stop that right now. They, that kid is responsible for his attitude. You're not responsible for that. That family is responsible for what goes on. We're, bring him in here. We're going to sit down right now. Thank God for Pastor Steve. <laughs> but I, I had to learn. And I, for weeks, I went home. And do you know who felt terrible? Me. Do you know who was? Again, there's a difference between love and rescuing. Love says, I'm on your team but I'm not going to fix your problems. This is really, really important. 